Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome in to a special bonus episode of the Mass and All Access podcast on this Thursday. Tim Leonard, Brendan Mortensen, and we're officially in MLB draft season. We I are. Think. It is quickly approaching, a little over three weeks until the start of the first day of the MLB draft. The Orioles, of course, have the number one overall pick. So we figured we'd do a bonus episode today, and we're going to be pumping out some extra content on the podcast feeds over the coming weeks, getting you guys ready for the MLB draft, but Mike Elias talked a couple days ago, I believe, and said that they have narrowed down the list to five or six guys. So today's episode, we will be going through the top five or six guys in this pretty good draft class and trying to figure out what the Orioles are evaluating and take a deep dive on each of their games. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I think in the past few years, because the Major League team was struggling so much we're just so focused on the draft coming up. And this one seemed to sneak up on us a little bit because there's actually good storylines in the major leagues right now. So we got a little bit behind, I think, almost in draft coverage, but that's why I wanted to make sure we were doing a preview and going through the top prospects in this draft. Right. I mean, Austin Hayes literally hit for the cycle last night. That was a thing that happened, and I'm sure that'll be something that we will discuss on our normal Tuesday podcast, and there will still be plenty of Orioles talk, but the MLB draft is quickly sneaking up. It is... Also, the NBA draft tonight, which really snuck up on me. but we're, yeah, we're Nobody keep, saw that coming. We're keeping it to the MLB draft on this podcast. We'll go through the top prospects today. I figure we start out at the tippy top of most teams' list, I would say, right now, which is Drew Jones, the son of Andrew Jones, the center fielder who is a high school bat out of Georgia. And it would... I think it's fair to say that he is the consensus number one overall prospect in this draft. Maybe not to the degree that Adley Rutschman was in the 2019 draft when the Orioles were picking first, although Adley wasn't way above some of the others like we've seen in other MLB drafts. But I think it's fair to say that Drew Jones, if we stacked up every MLB team's big board right now, would be at the top of most of them. Yeah, I think he's definitely the top prospect. I think the thing that's interesting with Drew Jones is whether or not the tools that are valued by teams are the tools that he has. I think he is pretty clearly, at least in my opinion, the best player in this draft. And keep in mind, Tim and I are not scouts. We are not physically watching these prospects. We're going based off of as much reading and YouTube videos as we can possibly go on. We're obsessed with the MLB draft as much as possible, but unfortunately we cannot attend Drew Jones when he's getting overrated chance at him in in high school state championship games. It would be cool, but we can't do that. The information that we're throwing out at you is based on our eyes watching workout videos or just game highlights and reading about what some other experts have said and just kind of compiling that all together. But the point... I was making with Drew Jones is that I think he's the best overall player, but a lot of his tools that jump off the board are things like his run tool, his fielding tool, his arm. And I don't know if those are the things that the Orioles at the number one pick in the draft are going to be looking at as the most important tools, because those tools might make him the best player, 
but do they give him the highest ceiling? Do they make him a player that's maybe the most valuable? I think that's kind of the question with Jones. He is someone that I would say right now, if you put him in the MLB, is borderline a gold glove center fielder based on right. how, I mean, he would very quickly get to that status. His dad as, won 10. Yes. And not that that <laughs> makes all the difference right. in the world, but he has the pedigree. His dad was a platinum glove caliber center fielder. Exactly. And it is funny how this draft works out. We'll get into Jackson Holiday, who is the son of Matt Holiday. So there's a lot of bloodlines in the top of this draft class. In the case of Drew Jones, I think his bat is a little behind his glove. And that's interesting to me because we're trying to figure out, one, who's the best prospect, but also who are the Orioles going to select? We're trying to figure that out based on the philosophy that Michael Elias has used in the past and what they have liked in other prospects. And not to say his bat is lacking or something. He definitely improved and his stats as a high scorer were absurd of course yeah he hit 570 yeah (laughs) that's that's nothing to sneeze at right 570 is impressive so his bat is still very solid but the part that is really intriguing about drew jones is the fact that right away he is going to be way ahead of the curve with his glove there's been some talk of maybe you could put him at shortstop but i think you and i are in agreement you would want to probably keep him in center field right yeah, now. He has the potential to be a good shortstop because he has the speed, he has the arm, and he has just the overall baseball IQ to be good at that position. But like you said, Tim, you and I are kind of in agreement that if you have a prospect that is already showing signs of being elite at a defensive position, you don't really want to move him. So how much more valuable is a great defensive shortstop than an excellent defensive center fielder? I think that's probably up for debate, but you would hope that he stays in center field defensively. Yeah, and when I say that his bat's behind his glove, most scouts are projecting that his ceiling is maybe 25 to 30 homers a year. He could still be a 30-30 guy once he gets to the MLB in terms of his numbers. So the bat is still very solid. It seemed to improve a lot. He seems to maybe sometimes chase pitches a little bit, but overall... His ceiling is mostly dependent on the fact that his glove is outstanding for someone at his age. And I think the point to make here is that a lot of teams would probably select Drew Jones, number one overall, but the Orioles are not a lot of teams. And, well, maybe I would like to see them select Drew Jones, number one overall. There's still a lot of other really good prospects here, and it's not like Drew Jones is the incredibly obvious number one overall pick. I don't think it's incredibly obvious, but I think when you look across either most mock drafts or big boards, Drew Jones is the number one overall prospect. It wasn't really that way going into his senior year. A lot of people had Elijah Green as the number one overall prospect. Jackson Holiday, who we're going to talk about in yeah. a little bit, flew up draft boards. He was not close to being the number one overall pick. But at the beginning of the year, there were a lot of questions about Jones's bat. And I think those questions were mostly answered this year with his senior year stats. And he has the things that you look for with the bat, even though it's not completely polished. It's been described as kind of a work in progress still. But he has really quick hands. He has good barrel control. He has power to all sides of the field. Those are the things that you can build on. He still has a good foundation with the bat. And the other tools are so excellent that he seems like the type of player that would be able to move up through a minor league system pretty quickly and have a very high ceiling because even if the bat isn't all the way there, 
the raw tools are still very present. Yeah, and I think it's also worth noting that he has the size in his frame that he could build into his frame a little bit more and develop as a power hitter as he progresses. Maybe that'll hurt his run tool a little bit, which is also right around a 70 based on where you look. It's outstanding. His run tool, his field tool and his run tool are way ahead. Hit tools right around a 55 based on where you're looking at Drew Jones. But I would say in summary... Drew Jones is the consensus number one overall pick. It does not mean the Orioles are going to take him. Although, if you do take him, you have a guy in the outfield who is probably at minimum going to be an all-star center fielder once he gets up to Baltimore. At minimum, yeah. I mean, his tools defensively are absolutely ridiculous. He has reached up to 92 miles an hour so far on his throwing arm, which is probably going to get better because, as you said, He's still kind of growing into his body a little he's bit. He's 18. He's yeah. a little bit wiry right now. He's 6'4", 180 right now. So you would imagine that that 180 is going to increase at some point. So if you're drafting Drew Jones, you at the very least have somebody you know is going to be a gold glove caliber center fielder, like you said. The issue with Jones and the thing that you have to keep in mind when looking at whether or not the Orioles are going to select him with the number one overall pick is that he is more than likely going to cost the most money. Yeah. Do the Orioles want to spend the most money? And how wide is the gap between Drew Jones and some of the other prospects? So let's transition now to prospect number two on most of the big boards, Jackson Holiday, who is the son of Matt Holiday. He is a second baseman slash shortstop slash third baseman. Right now, a shortstop. I think he could probably end up as a second baseman or a third baseman. Pretty solid across the board are most of his tools and his grades. The big thing that you hit on earlier is he has really come on of late. He struggled last summer, and then he sort of improved his frame, improved his physicality, his speed, and all of a sudden you're starting to see why he is being hyped up as a top-five draft pick. He's really skyrocketed up draft boards. And I think it's worth noting that he's been tied to the Orioles a little bit. It feels like no one knows what the Orioles are going to do like most years. And that's always the case with Michael Elias. Whenever he's been in a position to have some of the responsibility of making the selection. However, I would probably guess right now if the, or if I had to pick one person, the Orioles are going to take to me, the best educated guess right now is maybe Jackson holiday. Yeah. I think I'd put my money on holiday as well. And when you look at a lot of mock drafts and just a lot of scouting, Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday are kind of pegged as the two can't-miss prospects in this draft, where maybe they aren't the safest picks. Yeah. By, you don't want to say that they have a high floor, low ceiling, because the ceilings for them are still high, but they seem to be the prospects that, if you select them, it is kind of a safe pick in the sense that every single tool that they have shown shows that they will be a pretty quality major league player at some point throughout their career. Holiday, I think, is a little bit below Jones in terms of his just ratings as a prospect. He doesn't really have any tools that jump off the board. According to MLB Pipeline, every single tool is either a 55 or a 60, but there's not a tool above a 60. So nothing right. jumps off the board with Holiday. He's just all around really solid. Yeah, and... He does look really young. I, I know all these yes. guys look really young, but you can tell that he has a way to go in terms of developing into the body that he's going to have when he makes it to the major league level. So that's an interesting point because there are some college bats that we can talk about later that might be 
a safer option than Jackson Holiday or Drew Jones. And the next guy we're going to talk about, Elijah Green, is maybe the biggest boomer bust type of player in this draft class. But I think given what we know about the Orioles, it feels like I could see them taking Jackson Holiday. Not that they have gone after a lot of high school bats in the past, but he feels like a good blend of safe and also a high ceiling. You you want to get a player that has some of that stud factor, some of that ceiling factor when you're picking with the number one overall selection, especially considering this might be the last time for a while. Hopefully the Orioles are in this position. Right. So you want to take advantage of this position. Drew Jones might cost you the most. Jackson Holiday might cost you a little bit less, and he could be maybe just as good as Drew Jones down the road. I think, Jackson Holiday is still more than likely going to cost you a, a decent good amount, amount yeah. at the number one overall pick because as of right now, he is committed to play at Oklahoma State where his uncle is the coach and mm-hmm. his dad, Matt Holiday, who was, what, a multiple-time yeah. All-Star, his dad, Matt Holiday, is a volunteer assistant coach. So it's going to take a little bit of money to get Jackson Holiday away from his commitment to go play college baseball for his uncle. But like you said, Tim, I think Holiday kind of aligns a little bit more closely with what the Orioles have done in the past with their selections. In the past, they've gone with an established college bat, which is still an option with this number one overall pick. And like you said, we'll talk about some of those college guys. But I think Jackson Holiday and his hit tool, his pure contact bat-to-ball skills is probably better right now than Drew Jones. It's rated as a 60, and Drew Jones was at a 55, according to MLB Pipeline. And I think Holiday's bat is a little bit more closely aligned with a Heston Kerstad or a Colton Kowser, whereas somebody like Drew Jones, yes, he has other tools that are flying off the board, but those tools are speed and fielding and arm, whereas Jackson Holiday, I think, profiles a little bit better as somebody that you're more confident in with the bat. Yeah, and maybe his power won't ever get more than 20 homers a year. Something like that could be a ceiling, but that is still very serviceable when you consider that his plate discipline is ahead of schedule, his approach to the plate, just everything from an IQ perspective is very ahead of schedule for someone at his age. Again, he's 6'1", 180. He does not look like he's someone that you would, like Elijah Green we'll talk about next, if we saw him in just a random hallway here in the offices, we'd probably turn around and be like, wow, that guy looks like a number one overall draft pick right. in any sport, just and let alone baseball. But Jackson Holiday definitely seems to be a very safe, solid option. And like I said, I think if I had to pick right now, he's the guy that we're sitting here three and a half weeks out or so. Things can change. We don't really know what the Orioles are going to do. They've surprised us before. But if I had to put money down on someone, I think Jackson Holiday is the best educated guess right now at who the Orioles will select. Yeah, the Athletics' Keith Law said that he has a very good command of the strike zone for his age, which, again, sounds like something that the Orioles would do and would evaluate very heavily. And Keith Law said as well that he's most likely a doubles guy, a heavy doubles guy that's going to hit 15 to 20 homers a year at the Major League level. That just sounds like Colton Kowser. I know it's <laughs> it's younger and it's harder to evaluate the bat when he's in high school, but it sounds like a very similar bat. It sounds like an Orioles bat. Yeah. 
All right, next on the list, we're going to talk about Elijah Green, who is the son of a former NFL tight end. There, it has to be a son. Former connection. Ravens tight yes, end as Ravens well. Ravens tight end as well for a little bit, Eric Green. He looks like an NFL player, as I said. He looks like a running back, frankly. He's every bit of 6'3", very athletic. And this is a really intriguing prospect because he could be the best player in this draft. He probably has the most upside of any of the top guys in this draft. Yet, this is maybe the riskiest option for Mike Elias and the Orioles to select in this position, considering that there's a lot of swing and miss to his game. He's not a ton outside of a hitter. I mean, his, his fielding and his speed is solid, but in general, there's a lot of different outcomes that we could see with Elijah Green here. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the frame first and foremost. Drew Jones is 6'4", 180. Yeah. Elijah Green is 6'3", 225. It's impressive. I mean, that's a dude <laughs> yeah. on the diamond. He has been described as a powder keg. He has been described as just kind of a ball of energy on the field. Everything he does, Tim, is loud. And that has led a lot of scouts, like you said, to think that Elijah Green might have the highest potential and highest upside out of anybody in this draft. That being said... The reason that he is not the consensus number one overall pick in this draft is because he has probably more question marks than anybody else in the top five. He has a decent amount of swing and miss in his game, which has been corrected and improved upon mm -hmm. a little bit during his senior year. And you just don't know if somebody in high school who has a lot of swing and miss as a power hitter you don't know how a high schooler who's striking out a good amount is going to translate to the minor leagues. I will say IMG Academy is where he's playing at. Probably a little bit tougher competition Absolutely. than what we've seen from Drew Jones, Jackson Holiday. So it's worth noting that while his stats aren't going to be 570 average like Drew Jones has put together, he still has a lot of power and swinging and missing at IMG Academy is maybe a little bit different than at the high school level. Sure. And everything he does is loud. Yes. <laughs> he, similar to Drew Jones, he has a 60-graded power tool, a 70-graded run tool. There have been some scouts that have given him a 65-70-graded power tool as well. Scouts have said that he has kind of an unrivaled combination there of power and speed for his size. So if you're looking at somebody who is just kind of pure tools and pure intangibles and somebody that the eye test just says, wow, this kid could be a superstar then Elijah Green might be the pick there. Yeah. I think if they picked Elijah Green, it would shock me almost as much as any of the guys that we're going to talk about today I in agree. the top five, which is weird to say because he very well could be the best player in this draft, but it just feels like you're really taking a chance with him. Also worth noting, I don't know if I mentioned this, he's an outfielder who I think most scouts believe will stick in the outfield based on his speed. Tool. Stick in center field probably yes, too. and probably in center field. Yeah. I don't think it really matters position too much when you're picking at the top of the draft. That's just a general thing that maybe if you're trying to figure out who are the Orioles going to take, maybe you might say, oh, well, they've taken outfield a lot recently. Does that mean Jackson Holiday versus Drew Jones or Elijah Green or some of these other options? To me, at least, when you're picking up here, you pick best overall, best available, especially given the situation the Orioles are in. Right, and to that point, it just doesn't seem like a Mike Elias selection. Yeah. I mean, again, going back to Keith Law, he said that he has the potential to be a 30-30 guy, which is unbelievable, 
but he also probably has the most risk out of anybody in this tier that we're talking about right now. And looking back on the history of the Michael Elias draft picks here in the first round between Adley Rutschman, Heston Kerstad, and Colton Kowser, yes, he has gone under slot with those selections, but they've all kind of been safe. Maybe Heston Kerstad and Colton Kowser didn't have the highest upside, but you knew what you were getting in Kowser. You were getting a high average guy who was going to pretty much hit the ground running as soon as he got into professional baseball and maybe he wasn't going to be a superstar, but Colton Kowser had the potential to hit 300 with 15 to 20 homers. Yeah. Heston Kerstad, same kind of thing. He was, I think, the 10th ranked prospect going into that draft. He was under slot, but he still had kind of the floor with the bat. You knew that he was going to hit for a pretty decent average, and you knew he was going to be a power-hitting corner outfielder. And with Elijah Green, he still has the safety net of being an unbelievable athlete who is probably going to be very good defensively in center field. I just don't know if the floor with the bat is high enough that Michael Elias would be comfortable drafting him there. It, it does seem like he struggles a little bit with increased velocity pitching-wise. And again, he's going up against a little bit tougher competition, but I think at this point he is the riskiest, the most boomer bust options. I've seen some mock drafts have him as the ninth overall pick, and right. that wouldn't shock me. It would definitely shock me if the Orioles picked Elijah Green. Now, if they did pick him, you could talk yourself into it. I mean, there's oh, a absolutely. lot to like. It's not like it would be a bad pick. It would be a wait and see and definitely one that would shock us just based on Michael Elias's track record in history. I think it's certainly an intriguing prospect. Someone at the top is going to talk themselves into Elijah Green. And it's and easy for good to. reason. Yeah. It's easy to. The, as you said earlier, the word that is describing his game a lot is loud. And some of these scouts talk about just the, the loud contact that he has at the plate, which is as loud and as powerful as they've seen from a high school bat in a while. Right. And again, I just don't know if the huge boomer bust guy is the MO for Michael Elias. It hasn't been in the past. I would be surprised if it was now. But if the Orioles are taking Elijah Green, you are pretty confident that he is going to boom and not bust you yeah. because you can, like you said, you can talk yourself into saying that Elijah green has the best pure tools in the draft. And I think he has a legitimate case for that. Yep. I think it's very clear that he has the most upside of anyone in the draft, whether the Orioles will take him. We'll see next up on the list, a guy who I think has probably a better chance of getting taken by the Orioles. There was a mock draft from MLB pipeline that was released earlier today. As of us recording this on Thursday, June 23rd, of Tamar Johnson being the number one overall pick. He came to Camden Yards. He did a workout. So I think it's safe to say he is definitely one of the, quote, five or six players that Michael Elias is considering here. And we talk about bat, and we talk about how Michael Elias is usually maybe more inclined to go for a player that has an advanced bat and has that side of the toolbox checked already. This might be the best bat in the entire class, Tamar Johnson. He's a high school bat, but you hear stuff about him that some scouts have said most polished bat in decades they've seen from the high school level to enter yeah. the draft. There is a lot of praise on him in terms of the bat that he has. The question mark is he's a second baseman, and, well, he's playing shortstop right now at high school. Probably doesn't have the arm to stick there. So are you really going to take a second baseman number one overall? But the question, I think, for Michael Elias is, do you care? That, right. That's the thing. I mean, 
like you said, Tamar Johnson has been described as the best pure prep hitter in decades. <laughs> right. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, he has a 70 hit tool and a 60 power tool. And again, we're talking about Drew Jones, Elijah Green. Those are some elite defensive players. But when you have the top pick in the draft, are you looking at the defensive tools as much as you are hit are, are looking at the hitting tools? I think it's entirely possible that the hit tools are just holding a lot more value for teams that are evaluating prospects than kind of the overall package. It would be pretty much, like you said, unheard of to draft a second baseman this high in the draft. I believe he would be the, the old, first one. The first yeah. one. He's technically a shortstop. Most scouts agree that he is not going to stick at shortstop at any professional level. It doesn't really make sense to even start him at single A at shortstop because you know he's not going to be there at the major league level. But the dude could hit 400 at single A. Yeah. And you don't really care if he's playing second base at that point. Most people think that he would be a passable second baseman defensively. And so maybe the defensive position just doesn't really matter. We said the same thing a few years ago about Spencer Torkelson who is struggling in the major leagues right now, but it was unheard of to draft a first baseman first overall because you just couldn't do it. You couldn't give up that kind of defensive value when you're selecting a player. But does it matter? Because Spencer Torkelson was head and shoulders above the rest of the class in terms of hitting ability, and Tamar Johnson might be as well. Yeah, like, it's almost shocking to me that the guy who is fourth or fifth or sixth even on some of these draft boards is being pegged as the best prep hitter in decades. Like, that is a direct quote from scouts. His hitting comparisons are ridiculous. A scout said he had the combination of Wade Boggs' plate discipline (laughs) and Vlad Guerrero Sr.'s bat-to-ball skills. That's like the greatest hitter of all time. Right. And he's only 5'10", 175. So maybe his power will top out at 25, 30 homers and a year. And 5'10 is kind of generous. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he looks small. And right. he's, I think, 17 years old last I looked. He's a high school guy out of Georgia, committed to Arizona State. So the hit tool is outrageous with him. The question mark is the glove. The other thing to bring up with Tamar Johnson, he checks Every box, it seems like, from an interview perspective, from an IQ perspective, you hear comments like he's pretty much a secondary coach on his high school team. He's really checked all those boxes to the point that that makes me feel like even more confident that he's a guy that will reach his ceiling and will put in the work to get to the next level. Right, and that's what a lot of of scouts have said is that they have such a high belief in the fact that Tamar will reach his potential as a player because of the makeup, because of how he acts on the field, like you said. So maybe the Orioles as well, not only do you see the potential with the bat, but because of the makeup, because of how he conducts himself in interviews and when he's on the field as well, you probably have a pretty high confidence that he is going to reach that ceiling. And if he reaches that ceiling, that's an exceptional player. So... Pose a hypothetical at you here. Not who we want them to select, but who we think Mike Elias will select. Who's more likely, Drew Jones or Tamar Johnson? The reason why I say that is because very good prospects, both of them, but Drew Jones is glove way above the rest of his tools. Glove is the part, fielding is the part that really is attractive. It's the opposite for Tamar Johnson, of course. The bat is the part, and that's where Mike Elias has had a little bit more history to lean towards. So... 
Am I crazy to think that maybe there's a better shot that Tamar Johnson is selected one than Drew Jones? No, I don't I don't think so at all. I think there probably is a better chance that Tamar Johnson is selected first overall. In terms of guys that I think the Orioles would take, I think Jackson Holiday and Tamar Johnson are kind of 1A and 1B for yeah. me. In terms of who I think the Orioles will select, and Drew Jones comes in at second. For a multitude of different reasons, but I think the biggest one might just be that the Orioles probably don't think, again, we're just guessing here, and this is based off yeah. of our evaluations on pretty much reading other people's evaluations, <laughs> but I don't think the gap is all that wide between Drew Jones and Tamar Johnson to the point where it would determine who you're going to take with the price ranges. Because yes. Drew Jones is going to cost a heck of a lot more money than Tamar Johnson. He did not really have Johnson, didn't have a strong commitment anywhere. He committed to Arizona State pretty late in the game, mm -hmm. which at least leads me to believe that he's not really sold on playing college baseball. Drew Jones is committed to Vanderbilt as well, and yeah. obviously Vanderbilt is a baseball factory. We're assuming that Drew Jones is going to go the major league route, but it's probably going to take a hefty price tag to drag him away from Vanderbilt Tamar Johnson, maybe he was just evaluating a lot of good options and wasn't really sure, so you never know. But committing so late in the game kind of indicates to me that maybe the commitment to Arizona State wouldn't right. take that much to drag him away. Yeah, and I think all these guys are going to be top five picks and get a lot of money, and probably they're all going to go pro more yeah, than likely. Yeah, stick to where they're at and, and the team that selected them. It's fascinating, though, because I feel like right now most draft boards, most mock drafts have Drew Jones going number one. And not to say that I would be surprised if the Orioles did that because he is the consensus number one pick. But just based on history, based on Michael Elias' philosophy, a little part of me is like, I'll believe that when I see it. I'll, right. I'll believe it when I see Drew Jones number one. I would be excited if they took Drew Jones. But I would also understand a Tamar Johnson selection and understand why, given the price range difference potentially and the signing bonus, you would go that route. Yeah, I mean, Tamar Johnson more than likely would be under slot. And that is what the Orioles have done with their first round picks the last three years. But I think the under slot argument is kind of different for this season for a few different reasons. First of which is that over the last few years, the Orioles have known that they are going to have a top pick in probably next year's draft. They know that the Major League roster was not at the point where they would be winning a bunch of games to even get out of really the top five. I mean, that fifth yeah. overall pick was the lowest overall that they've had over the last few years. Right now, the Orioles, I think, have the ninth or tenth worst record in the league and would end up with the ninth or tenth overall pick, more than likely, depending on the lottery. So... You don't think you're going to be back here next year. So do you still want to go under slot at that point? Or do you just want to take the chance to get a star while you can? And I think the other big thing here, too, is that the Orioles currently have the number one farm system in baseball. Over the last few years, one of the reasons that you go under slot is so that you can go over slot with your next few selections. You can get a Gunnar Henderson, a Kobe Mayo to fill out the prospects yeah. because over the last few years, they have not had a high quality farm system until the last year or two when they become the number one farm system in baseball. So do you still need to go under slot to fill out that farm system 
or are you content with the number one overall farm system in baseball, content with the depth of the system, and just go after star power? That's an interesting point because they are in a little bit of a different situation this year, picking at the top of the draft than other drafts. Next guy on our list to talk about, Brooks Lee, who is, believe it or not, not a high school bat. He's a guy that is playing at Cal Poly, played for his dad, has shined pretty much at every level, was really strong in the Cape Cod League, hit right around 401 last summer in the Cape Cod League. He is an advanced hitter where the hit tool is, again, probably ahead of some of the other tools for Brooks Lee. And again, another guy that sort of feels like a Michael Elias pick, which is fascinating because not to say that Drew Jones isn't a Michael Elias pick, and it wouldn't shock me, but... That's why I think I'm less inclined to believe Drew Jones is definitely going to be the pick when there are several other guys at the top here that I think Michael Elias might find very attractive. Yeah, Brooks Lee, again, just feels very Michael Elias. He is a switch-hitting, established college bat with an incredible feel for the strike zone. He had a strikeout-to-walk ratio it's absurd. of like 1.64, yeah. I believe, last year. He just doesn't strike out. He doesn't strike out. Amazing, yeah. Right, and he plays a decent shortstop. Most people think that he'll probably move over to third base once he hits professional ball, but there's at least a chance that he sticks at shortstop because he has a good arm. He has a great baseball IQ. It just feels like a Mike Elias guy where (laughs) he's an established college bat. The average is great. The power isn't exceptional. Might get to the MLB faster than some of these other guys, I would say. He could be up even quicker, which is a nice thing and something to consider. I think you're right that he's probably not going to settle at the shortstop position, but very advanced bat, very advanced plate discipline, pitch recognition, all those boxes are checked. When you're looking at a hitter for average, he is that guy. Yeah, Brooks Lee struck out at a 10% rate in 2022, (laughs) and for reference... Adley Rutschman struck out at a 14% clip in his historic junior year at Oregon State, which is also amazing. Colton Kowser struck out at a 13% clip his junior year at Sam Houston State, which, again, are unbelievable numbers, and Brooks Lee was even better there. He has a little bit of an unorthodox swing, so maybe the Orioles don't like how much effort goes into the swing, but it's worked for him, so... Maybe it's a Hudson Haskins situation where the swing is unorthodox, but you just believe in the numbers that he's put up. I don't know. It just it feels like a Michael Elias guy. I keep saying it. It just <laughs> it just screams Colton Kowser. Right. Which I mean, it's not a bad thing that Michael no, Elias has a type. All GMs have a type, right? Right. And it's sort of fascinating that now this is another number one overall pick. He also was obviously a big part of the Houston selection. So Anyway, we're just sort of trying to theorize what would Mike Elias be thinking. One thing that I do like about Brooksley is he was probably going to get selected in the top 40, top 35 when he was coming out of high school. He opted not to, stayed committed to play for his dad at Cal Poly, and just said, you know what, I'm going to pass up the millions right now, and I'm going to prove that I am a top five guy. I'm not top 40, I'm top five. And he's proven that because he's done nothing but hit since then. And son of a coach. So, again, kind of like Tamar Johnson, seems like he checks all the boxes off the field, leadership qualities, baseball IQ, all that stuff. He is right at the tippy top of where you want to be. Yeah, and the direct quote is otherworldly bat-to-ball skills, (laughs) which 
as a college bat would lead you to believe that he will be able to move throughout the minor league system quickly. And maybe if you're the Orioles and you are looking at the timeline of the rebuild, you understand that Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, Gunnar Henderson, all the guys at the top of your farm system right now are going to be in the majors in the next two years and going to be developing and hopefully playing well within the next two or three years where you are fielding that competitive team. If you select Brooks Lee, he could probably get to the majors within two or three years. If you're selecting one of the high school guys, you're probably looking at four at best. Yeah. I mean, I said that about Bobby Witt Jr. and he made his debut this year. But if you're selecting one of the high school guys, maybe they don't get to the majors as quickly and maybe you are looking towards the college ranks for somebody who lines up with the rebuild a little bit better. Right. It wouldn't shock me if they took him. He's a college bat. It feels like a Michael Elias pick. We've said it a lot. It is just fascinating to see how much he has improved his stock and how going to college really paid off for him. Another funny anecdote that I read an athletic article on it on him, so shout out to The Athletic who put this on my attention, but Larry Lee, his dad, who is the coach at Cal Poly, when he was trying to name his son, was very focused on him having a, quote, baseball player's name and wanted to make sure. So he has wanted his son to be an MLB player for a while, and he picked Brooks Lee partially because Brooks Robinson. So maybe the Orioles select him. He plays third base. There's some poetic justice to the the whole nonsense there. But I think Brooks Lee is a safe college bat that would be – Maybe I mean be probably considered an underslot pick, and maybe fans wouldn't like it compared to some of the other guys that are at the top of the board there. But it's still a guy that would probably get to the majors really quickly and probably have a very successful, very long career. Yeah, it's probably a very successful, very long career that doesn't have the highest ceiling in the world, yeah. which is the thing with having this number one overall pick and probably not having it over the next few years is do you really want to take somebody like Brooks Lee, who, yes has the potential to, you know, maybe make a few all-star games and have a solid major league career, which you would still take. That would still be awesome (laughs) with the number one overall pick. But you're probably not selecting a superstar. And maybe Brooks Lee just outperforms his draft expectation. We've seen it happen plenty of times, and it's going to happen plenty of times. We've seen Gunnar Henderson do it, way outperform what scouts thought he was going to do leading into the draft. So maybe you select Brooks Lee and you believe in the intangibles and you believe that his ceiling can be higher than what most scouts have said about him so far. But I think if you have the number one overall pick, you have to go for somebody that, yes, maybe has a good floor, but the ceiling's got to be there. And Mm -hmm. I just don't know if the ceiling is there with Brooks Lee. Yeah, I think I would be a little bummed. And if I was Michael Elias, I'd probably want a guy that has a higher ceiling than Brooks Lee. Right. Other guys to consider here, and remember Michael Elias said earlier in the week, five to six guys is what the list is down to now. We've talked about five guys. The sixth guy might be tough to exactly pinpoint who they are talking about. Jacob Berry is someone who I think comes top of mind for me. Another college bat transferred from Arizona to LSU. His strikeout numbers went really down once he made that transfer, worked on his swing a little bit. The thing with him is... He's pretty much a DH or a first baseman and does not have much of a glove. The bat is excellent. The numbers are terrific. It's just tough to totally buy into a guy and totally believe in a player's floor when 
it's all reliant on how quickly the bat gets ready for MLB pitching. Well, he's not Spencer Torkelson. Yeah. Which is the thing. If you're going to select somebody who you think is going to be a DH first baseman at the professional level, it the bat needs to be so overwhelmingly good to make that selection. It was with Spencer Torkelson. I don't think it is with Barry. It's yeah. still very good. It's just not Spencer Torkelson good. Yeah, and there were some rumblings that the Orioles liked him early on. I feel like there's been less of that in sort of mock drafts and predictions of who the Orioles are going to select. And again, I don't think anyone but Michael Elias and a handful of other people really truly know what the Orioles are thinking until about two minutes before the pick is in. And they'd love to keep it that way because that gives them more leverage and everything else in that position. So I don't blame them for keeping everything close to the vest. But right now, I'd be pretty surprised if Jacob Berry was selected. Who else would you say is kind of in consideration there as maybe that sixth guy that they're looking at? Yeah, I think Jace Jung is probably in consideration as well. Same kind of thing. The bat is excellent. It is an established college bat. Jung can maybe play third base, but Mm -hmm. he's been playing second base in college, and you would have to imagine that if he's not playing third in college, it's probably because the arm strength isn't quite there. So I would be surprised if Jung was the pick, especially because if you're going to draft a second baseman with a really good hit tool who you know isn't going to give you a ton of defensive value, just draft Tamar Johnson. Yeah. Because right. Johnson has a higher ceiling with the bat. So if that's the route you're going, I would just select Johnson. Yeah. Another guy who is in consideration, maybe Cam Collier, who's a Chipola college guy, junior college guy, left high school early, went there. Like we've seen Bryce Harper and some other top prospects do. He is someone that I feel like has sort of died down, maybe in terms of linkage to the Orioles and the number one overall pick, but you'll see some big boards from well-known scouts and well-known writers and people that cover this that have him as high as number two or number three. He's all over the place. Yeah, he's he's really done a terrific job of rising his stock and even went and made a couple appearances in the Cape Cod Baseball League and did a nice job there. So he's another guy that I feel like Mike Elias would find appealing, but I just don't know if the ceiling is quite high enough compared to the other guys. If I had to put money on an unexpected name in the group of five or six that the Orioles are looking at, it would be Collier. Yeah. Because, like you said, scouts have had him as high as the second-ranked prospect in this draft I've seen on some big boards, or MLB Pipeline, I believe, has him 12 or 13 right now. Right. So he's kind of all over the place just based on the fact that he's a very raw player he's really young he's He's incredibly toolsy right he's 17 which makes his success at the Cape Cod Baseball League all the more impressive because he's facing off against pitchers who are well-established college guys 19 20 21 he's punching way above his weight class in a lot of the competition that he's facing so Collier could be somebody that because he has flashed against much older competition and he because he's just so toolsy maybe the intangibles are just there to elevate him into that group. Yeah, even in the junior college ranks, he's pitch, he's going up against pitchers that are way older than right. him and still putting up tremendous numbers. All right, so before we get out of here, we've gone in-depth on the top five, a couple other guys. Let's answer two questions. Who do you want the Orioles to select? If you were Michael Elias, who would you select? And also, who do we think Michael Elias right now, if we had to pick, is going to select? If it's me, which it isn't, right. if it was me... I go Drew Jones. Yeah, I'm with you. Because I know that the money is a little bit of an issue. 
But my thinking is this. You have the number one farm system in all of baseball, so I don't think it's as high of a priority as it has been in years past to make sure that you are filling out the depth in the competitive balance round picks, in the second round, wherever it may be. I don't think it's as high of a priority to overslot in those later rounds at the sacrifice of grabbing the guy at number one overall. I think Drew Jones is the guy. I think the hit tools are a little bit raw, and yes, it's a work in progress, but I think there's a ton to work with there. And at the very least, the floor is so spectacular that it is really hard to pass up on Drew Jones. That being said, I don't think the gap between Jones and somebody like Tamar Johnson is all that wide, but I still go with Drew Jones. Yeah, I'm with you. I think if I was Michael Ice, I would select Drew Jones, but I see Jackson Holiday being the pick, which I think you're in agreement with. We've said that throughout the podcast. If I had to guess right now, now that's not like Jackson Holiday and then everyone else is further down. I think Tamar Johnson, like you said, 1B, I would classify as right there as well. So it's going to be interesting. I really think Drew Jones, though, has the best combination of floor and ceiling of the top prospects. And just because the glove is so outstanding, you know that he's going to be a positive war player at the very least, even if his bat doesn't fully develop, which I tend to believe it will at this point. Yeah. To differentiate a little bit, my guess for the pick is going to be Tamar Johnson. I like it. Because I think the gap between, like I said, the gap between Johnson and Drew Jones is probably not that large. The makeup for Johnson is so good that the Orioles might just believe that he is going to reach that ridiculous ceiling with the bat. And yes, I've talked about kind of the reasons against the underslot strategy with the farm system and the fact that they probably won't be in this position again. But if it's not broke, I mean, the Orioles have had a lot of success going over slot on players later in the draft. And I mean, where would this farm system be without a Gunnar Henderson or a Kobe Mayo? Those are really important pieces of this rebuild at this point. And you probably don't get those guys unless you go under slot at the top. So maybe it's just a strategy and the Orioles are confident in the fact that they can continue to find those gems later on in the draft outside of the top 30 picks. And maybe if that's just a strategy they have liked, there's no reason to go to go away from it. Yeah. Well, it's all very exciting. The Orioles have the number one overall pick, and the draft is quickly approaching, coming up in a little over three weeks. So we will be continuing to pump up pump out content here on Mass and All Access on the podcast, probably have some bonus episodes coming in the next couple of weeks. Also follow our social channels. Paul Mancano will be back next week on the podcast. One of our top comments last week was, where's Paul? And we can promise that he will be back soon. This was just a bonus episode, but shout out to Paul Mancano for producing the podcast. As you see his lovely face there, if you are following along on YouTube or Facebook, you can always watch our podcast live on YouTube and Facebook and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. We will continue to have bonus episodes coming out in the coming weeks for the MLB draft. But for Brendan Morrison, I'm Tim Leonard, and we'll talk to you next time on the Masson All Access Podcast. 